0: Hello everyone and thank you for the download. It's Monday, November 19th and this is episode three of the Marty Called podcast. I'm Tim Grassy, and today I'm joined by my co-host the Sultan of Saki. What's up Josh? How you doing? Not too bad. Glad to have you back.
1: Thanks. It's good to be here.
0: <laughs> and uh, Josh and I are pleased to welcome in our new co-host Skipper Ben. How's it going Ben?
2: It's going great. I understand uh, you can't do any podcast without a host that can bring wrestling references so that's why I'm here. I'm glad to hear that. And if uh, you're not
0: careful, I'll start making Marvel Contest Champions references. So
2: I understand. This, this is a lot like when Hulk Hogan joined Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, and they formed the NWO. Uh, that's that's what I feel us. Uh, this little group is right here. We're the uh, new world order of Disney podcasts. I really miss not having drops at a time like this.
1: I have no understanding of anything that was just said.
0: It's okay. That was for an audience of one, and you said it. <laughs> I'm done I,
2: now.
1: I was busy losing my virginity while you were polishing <laughs> up on those statistics.
0: So, uh, Ben is a uh, new new podcaster to this show. Uh, he's replacing Gary. Gary uh, did not get hit by a TTA vehicle. Uh, we just decided, Josh, Gary, and myself, that Gary wanted to do a news show, and uh, he does that with Josh and Scoodles, and I'll give Josh a chance to plug that in a moment. Um, but really, it came down to... Uh, wasn't the right fit for Gary to do the show. And we hope that Ben is the right fit, but we'll see after that wrestling reference, we'll see how far he gets on the, the, uh, the podcast, but you're on probation,
1: uh, buddy. Don't screw it up.
0: (laughs) Next thing you know, you're going to be posting GIFs and you're going to be banned from the group. (laughs) (laughs) Josh, why don't you give a quick update for people that were listening to Marty called like Gary and, uh, want to hear him once every, uh, six months or so on, uh, on your show.
1: Sure. So, so Gary and I and Scootles still do Progress City Radio. It's i I wouldn't call it a news show so much as a, uh, if it were a Jeopardy, it would be the potpourri category. It's just, uh, you know, whatever strikes our fancy at the moment, but uh, there's certainly no hard feelings. Gary's one of my best friends in the world. We still talk all the time and that show is alive and well. Um, There's definitely some news items that are kind of uh, hot right now and we probably will be putting an episode out in the next few days. So if you're into that, go check it out. We'd love to have you.
0: So in deference to the nature of that show, the focus of this still will remain on Imagineering. Uh, That is the goal here. While this particular show, we will be talking about Epcot and have that be a a relatively current event-based discussion, the focus will be on less so the news aspect of it and really what it means from an Imagineering standpoint. We are hoping to recreate those conversations within the halls of 1401 Flower Street and hope that we are at least somewhat insightful relative to what the imagineers are doing but uh i've been talking too long already and uh we have a new co-host that i think needs to reintroduce himself to the podcast community so uh ben where you been
2: uh i've been around uh <laughs> while you said i'm uh, new to this show i'm kind of a old soul when it comes to podcasting uh, i used to do a, a segment on inside the magic with ricky Briganti uh called cruising the world that uh covered my time working uh for disney as a cast member i spent three years out in the parks in florida working at muppet vision and uh, the jungle cruise thus the skipper ben name and uh, after my time working out there came back to texas and uh, that's about the time that podcasting launched and got popular and of course ricky was one of the first ones out there and he gave me a chance to be a part of that show and uh, gave a kind of a behind the scenes take on uh, my experiences working in the parks and that kind of just turned into uh, some other opportunities within the community. I write for Attractions Magazine with my top 10 column. And, uh, you know, I've been around lurking for the last, uh, gosh, it's probably been eight years now since I've really uh, had a podcast uh, segment of my own. But uh, glad to have this opportunity to join you guys and uh, get back into this world.
0: Uh, I'm not sure that this is an opportunity, but it'll, it will it's something, I guess. Like, we'll see we'll see how it actually goes, but talking with Josh and i most people don't refer to that as an opportunity
1: uh, i would consider it an honor i mean we are <laughs> we are excellent and uh you know you're you're in uh you're you're in high territory now you should you're in hands I yourself. wouldn't say good
2: hands, but you're in hands <laughs> this is going great so far, just like I dreamed
1: it. you will be handled <laughs> let's yes. put it that way. <laughs>
2: So for people that are
0: picking up on this on what is now episode three, we do have two other episodes out there uh, in the interest of full disclosure. They are vulgar. This one probably won't be as vulgar, but uh, this is going to be a free form conversation. We're going to speak like adults. uh, So get the kids out of the room if you don't want them to hear naughty words. Beyond that, um, the first two shows that uh, Gary, Josh and I did, we discussed Carousel of Progress and we left it as a discussion where we'd be looking at a future scene for Carousel of Progress. I I think that's still uh, on the table, but not for this episode. So we've also kind of uh, taken a look back, taken a step back at how ambitious we were on those first two episodes and saying, uh, we're kind of lazy here. So we may not be producing content like we did uh, where we recreate what we think is the 1980 scene for Carousel of Progress or a futuristic scene. But I think we may be looking at this on the more blue sky uh, level and, you know, dig a little bit deeper, but trying to understand how something goes from concept to reality and how themes are present in a theme park and a land and an attraction and how all of that story is tied together. So that brings us to today's topic, which is Epcot. Uh, I think it's near and dear to uh, each of our hearts. And recently, uh, over the weekend, they announced additional information about what's coming to Epcot. Uh, They mentioned a new Beauty and the Beast sing along that's going to share some time with Impressions de France and confirm that there will be an interim show replacing Illuminations before a permanent show opening in 2020. So uh, the news items here are the interim show will be uh, called Epcot Forever and be inspired by seemingly classic Epcot, whereas the uh, follow-up show will be integrating the global cultures around the world and the stories that they inspire, as it was described, uh, meaning uh, Disney intellectual property and movies and whatnot. So we all saw that. Uh, I don't know what you guys thought to the greatest extent, but (laughs) I I can assume that that there are some (laughs) things that didn't exactly sit well with us. Uh, Yeah. Uh, so Josh, why don't, why don't you kick it off? What did you think of the announcements? Where do you think Epcot is going? What, Where, where are you at right now?
1: Sure. Well, uh, before I kick that off, I'm just going to need you to go ahead and clear off the next three hours because okay. I'm climbing on my soapbox and I'm ready to roll.
0: This will not be a one-episode topic. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm getting my back email.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, let, let's talk about the name. All right. Epcot Forever. Um, th- this... I acknowledge is to some degree the cynic in me, but I think that it's okay to be cynical when the past four or five, 10, 15 years of changes that have happened in the parks lead us to believe that what we hold dear uh, is not sacred to the company, even though it might be sacred to us. So when I hear an announcement called Epcot forever, I have to think about what that really means. And there's a couple of things about it that bother me. The first is that it's an interim show. Yes. (laughs) Yes, <laughs> there is a certain irony to creating a show called Epcot Forever, and acknowledging Epcot for nine months didn't have the same ring to it. Yeah, it's Epcot Forever until the next thing that we've already announced comes along. So you know, you don't have to, you know, in, in a courtroom, this is what we call an internally inconsistent testimony. They have essentially <laughs> impeached themselves by saying, on the one hand, this is and somehow going to embody the permanence of Epcot but we're doing it in the form of a temporary show. So, okay, there's a little bit of problem there, but let's delve into it. W- what are they What are they actually trying to communicate here? And that I think we all have to acknowledge we don't really know, but m- my heart tells me, which I acknowledge is just my own subjective view on this, is that what it basically is, is a eulogy to everything that we loved yeah, about Epcot.
2: That, that's exactly it. It is I, mean, a U- this I think is,
1: we all have that in our notes. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is if you anyone who thought this is a beginning, uh, I hate to tell you, this is this is and it's not the end. The end has been here for years. But I think to some degree it's an acknowledgement. And the, the 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 proof of that is not so much in what Epcot Forever is, but from this perspective of what it's replacing. Because illuminations, reflections of earth, um, and Tim, you've said this, so I, I don't want to steal your thunder too much, but I'll steal a little bit of it. it. It truly does speak to, I think, the heart of Epcot. It's one of those things that is so distinct and unique to that park that if you saw even a 30-second clip of it, uh, either video or audio, you would know what it was. It's it's yep. just so purely hardcore Epcot that for that to go away uh, and to be replaced by a temporary show called Epcot Forever, just you kind of have to look at that and say, okay, this is not uh, a memorial to Epcot in the, from the perspective of them saying that we're gonna preserve it forever. It's a memorial from the perspective of saying this is this is gone um and it's time to move on to whatever is next.
0: I think Disney recognizes nostalgia they um they recognize nostalgia and I think this is nothing more than a bone thrown to fans. I think that's all it is
2: yeah I, I agree this is uh. It's like all these years of the fans out there talking about classic Epcot. We want we miss the old Epcot. This is exactly what that is. We're we're giving you just a little bit your the Epcot that we're turning to, the Epcot that you're going to get in the years coming is not going to be what you always wanted. But before we go out, here's one last look at it. Uh, say goodbye cuz you're never going to get it again. Yeah. So let's actually look at this objectively.
0: That's kind of the uh, purpose of the show and not just our, uh, our opinions on whether or not this is a a eulogy for Epcot. So when I, when I think of Epcot, I think that it has the ability to be more than a theme park because it was at one point it inspired people. Uh, It was aspirational and that it was trying to bring communities together. And I wrote some notes uh, where Perhaps the future direction of Epcot would be celebrating discovery, celebrating cultures, and inspire greatness uh, in technology. And nothing that was announced over the weekend really hit on any of those. So that's what I wanted Epcot to be, or I thought Epcot was. Do we have any idea what Epcot's new theme could be? Could it be tied back to this? Are there ways, are there treatments of these fireworks shows, of these sing-along shows, of Guardians of the Galaxy? that could bring it back to the celebration of discovery, celebrating cultures, things like that.
2: So,
1: I, I, sorry, go ahead.
2: Oh, I was going to say, I was going to say with the current management team that's in charge. No, I don't think you're going to, uh, to see that happen. I, Had a little Twitter thread with, uh, you know, WDW theme parks uh, talking about this uh, deal. That's a nice little copy and paste website that's out there. Um, (laughs) uh, Now, to me, this was like the uh, without saying so much, uh, these announcements told the community what Epcot is going to be moving forward. It's going to be IP and character based. It's going to be fantasy land. Essentially, there's IPs that you can put into every one of those countries. They're already putting the IPs over in Future World without them actually saying that they're moving away from that mission statement altogether. They're doing that with these attractions that are going in.
1: Yeah, I I think I, I agree with that. And I think what we can what we can derive from these announcements, I think what we've all hoped for to back up for a minute is that what is that Disney's strategy would change such that their vision for Epcot was more in line with what we've always hoped it would be. Yeah. And I think that's clearly not the case, but what I do think we see here, both with the nighttime show and with the beauty and beast character event is that there's a tactical change in terms of how Disney is attempting to execute these transitions in a way that is left less, less off putting <laughs> to uh long standing fans that have nostalgia for what's there. Because what you really see here is um, in my opinion, and, and again, I recognize this is a cynical and I almost feel the need to apologize that even though I think it's uh, justified, it, it's an attempt to transition from from what we have now to what's coming next in a way that's a little less abrupt. Um, yeah. So whether, yeah, you know, it's Epcot forever, okay? It's a nod for the people that have nostalgia. For the people who don't care, for the first-time guests, it's just going to be a show. They don't have any expectations. They're not bringing anything to the table. If it's good empirically, then they'll like it. Uh, and if it's not, they won't. But for the people, the, the crowd that poses the problem to the Walt Disney Company are those people who have some attachment to what's there, uh, because to the extent that the company is not willing to let that, those things be, and to the extent that they think they need to change them, if they want to appeal to both of those groups, they need to produce something that people are going to like in the future and also execute that transition in a way that's not going to alienate long-term fans. And it, it seems to me that there has been a marked change in how they go about doing that. But I don't think there's any indication whatsoever that the strategy is going back to what we would probably all agree. We hope that it would be.
0: So is there a story treatment and let's just look at the illuminations replacement. Is there a story treatment for an illuminations replacement that involves characters much in what we saw where it does fit in with unifying cultures while still being supplemented with music from Moana and Hercules and Frozen, no. et
1: cetera.
0: <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> so so in, that, in that respect, we've already seen them step away from things where I think an argument can be made, for example, that Ratatouille as a culturally relevant story fits better than Frozen. Doesn't mean that it's a perfect fit, but does at least fit better than Frozen.
1: Yes, yeah. Yeah, I agree with
0: that. Okay, uh, there are other stories in Disney's lexicon that could fit into World Showcase that are character-driven. The most obvious one is Coco. That is a slam dunk thematic fit. Don't um, get me started on Coco. <laughs> but I mean, in, in all seriousness, though, it's it's a slam dunk thematic fit because it is about Mexican culture. So so that would fit thematically yep. into Epcot. Um, I think there are ways to tell stories using characters where it could also fit into Epcot. Um, I, I believe that there's a story treatment for guardians of the galaxy where you could basically have it be Peter Quill and have it be a love letter to classic Epcot and have Epcot forever, not be a true eulogy for the park, um, but perhaps be uh, continued within guardians of the galaxy.
2: However. I've, I've heard your, art, your your statement on the Guardian side, but hasn't that all kind of been thrown out with the gutting of that building the way it was?
0: I mean, that's the, that's the physical structure. Uh, when I say love letter to classic Epcot, the interior of that 133-foot building is going to be largely screens. So you can recreate anything in CGI and you can have uh, – I, I don't know what the story of the ride is. But let's say it's time travel and Peter Quill wants to go back to 1987 and – fly by horizons and fly by other aspects of classic Epcot. Um, I don't expect that to be what they're doing, but I could at least see a level of discovery
2: or good. I would love that. It just seems like you actually had pieces of classic Epcot in that building that could have been incorporated into some of that stuff. No, that's fair. And with that all being cleared out like it was, I mean, there's just nothing there. It, it That tells me that they're going away from doing anything like that.
0: So we're talking as fans though, of, of classic Epcot Mm -hmm. realistically, does that move the needle? Does that draw in guests? And is there a way that you can be inspired by the past, but not replicate the past with the future of Epcot
1: to me? The hard part about this is drilling down to what makes us nostalgic for Epcot because I, I think that it's a bad business strategy to cater people to cater to people merely because they're nostalgic for something. Yep. The much better business strategy is to figure out what it was about that place in the first place that created that nostalgia. Yep. And that's where in my opinion they're falling down because it seems that they're making very knee-jerk reactions. They are they're shoehorning things in where they don't necessarily belong. They're getting away from this idea of creating a place that has some sort of unified meaning as a whole. You know, and it's not to say that any Disney park is necessarily perfect in terms of theme. They're not. But you can look at individual attractions and and they're they're vignettes, you know, they're stories, they're episodes in a greater saga that when you look at the park as a whole, it all sort of makes sense together generally. And, you know, there's this old notion in filmmaking and TV making of hanging a lantern on things that are not, you know, thematically consistent, whether there's discontinuities or whatever. That, that's true in, in great literary works and great film works throughout history. Nothing is perfect. But there's a difference between striving to create a unified whole that makes sense and having the occasional hiccup and throwing to the wind the idea that theme matters. And, and to me, Epcot has become the the melting pot. And I don't mean that in a good way. It's just become, uh, you know, 300 acres of where you put something uh, when it when you can't figure out where else to fit it. And, and, and that to me is the problem. And, and I'm not sure that a generation from now that is going to result in the sort of attachment and affinity for the place that we all have. For a while, that
0: park was Hollywood Studios. And Agreed. Over, over yep. in California, it was DCA. Where it's like, we don't know where to put this, let's just find a a home for it here. And I think what what is actually happening from an executive level is the thought process is we have this intellectual property that we like, and let's use Frozen because it's the clearest example. We want to get it in the parks. Where is the easiest place we can put it in, or where is there a need for uh, an attendance boost? and Going back to 1997, the year before Animal Kingdom opened, that was a peak attendance for Epcot up until this year. It took them 20 years to uh, to get back to that attendance level. And I suspect that that's exactly the logic. They're like, all right, we can do this in a year or whatever it was, 18 months. We can get a popular intellectual property in there, and if it moves a needle attendance-wise, great. Um, I think that's how decisions are being made right now. It's less about thematic fit it's more all right we have an idea for uh, an intellectual property that we want to put in the parks we'll determine the ride first and then where it goes later and back in the day it used to go the other way around
1: a themed
0: area and then what can fit in that area
1: i mean is classic story you know the classic history of disney uh reveals to us that a lot of the design for Walt Disney World stems from the fact that Walt Disney wasn't happy with seeing, you know, a cowboy walk through Tomorrowland or a yep. futuristic character walk through Frontierland. And so that that reveals to some degree the intensity of of placemaking and and thematic consistency that Walt cared about. And it seems that the pendulum was swung so far in the other direction. And the the interesting thing to me about this, as someone who studies business, I teach business at a university. Is that there are thousands of companies in the United States and around the world that are doing everything they can to differentiate their offerings from what their competitors have. And Disney started out with an incredible differentiated offering, particularly with Epcot. Prior to 1982, there was no theme park in the world that was anything like Epcot. And it seems as though over the past 36 years, they have never missed an opportunity to dilute that down into being essentially the lowest common denominator. They've turned it into a park like everyone else. And that's it's an odd strategic move, absent some overarching explanation as to why they're doing it. And what they haven't done is communicated any vision or identity for that park that would give people who care some comprehension of what it is that they're going for. It just seems like the landing pad for every project that doesn't have a specific home.
2: The interesting thing is, it's, it's almost like their Epcot is now getting all the overrun from stuff that should be going into the studios. Yeah. Uh, it's like they, it's like they realize we've already committed so much money and so many resources to Star Wars, to Toy Story Land, to, to Runaway Train. They they put so much in that park. All these attractions would better fits there, but they yeah. can't keep adding resources there. So it's like, oh, let's just dump them down the street at Epcot.
1: But if you want to jam, I mean, think about the irony of what you just said, and I agree 100%. A company that seems hell-bent on injecting IP into every attraction they can has a park dedicated to movies. And by the way, I hate the term IP because it's all IP. If you make the ride first, that's the IP. If you make it's a movie, movie first, IP is what we're IP. referring to. It's movies is what they're really doing. They're trying to jam movies into physical attractions, and they have a park dedicated to movies, and it's the one that has the least number of attractions of any of them. So it's it's a it's very hard to reconcile these decisions for me as an outsider.
2: The scary part is there is in production right now, uh, films and television shows, all that can fit into every one of the world showcase pavilions. You've got the live action Mulan, you've got the live action Aladdin, you've got Pinocchio stuff being done that can fit into either Italy or Germany. Like this isn't the end of putting these, these movie IPs into world showcase. This is just the beginning.
0: So, Getting to the point of movie-based IPs and putting them where they don't necessarily belong. Let's not uh, dismiss the fact that Disney has made very good movie-based IP attractions, and some of the ones in development we have very high expectations for. Um, The problem becomes adapting one medium of entertainment, typically film, and reconfiguring that to a new medium of entertainment typically an attraction or a ride. I think there are some circumstances, and I'll look at Tron, for example, and getting a little off topic here. I thought Tron sucked. I thought Tron Legacy sucked, but I think it would make a great ride. Um, And there are some some movies where they lend themselves better to to making an attraction than others. I think we can look at uh, Star Wars creating a universe around that makes perfect sense. It's something that they should have done 20 years ago and i'm very much looking forward to it but some of these
1: some of these don't fit there's a reason that escher used drawings and paintings instead of sculpture because the the idea simply doesn't translate to the medium
0: so i want to get back uh to something that, that josh said about what really epcot means and how do we even dig back to that so whenever that question comes up i like to look at points in the past, and specifically the dedication plaque. So uh, if you'll indulge me, I'm going to read this. Uh, To all who come to this place of joy, hope, and friendship, welcome. Epcot is is inspired by Walt Disney's creative vision. Here, human achievements are celebrated through imagination, wonders of enterprise, and concepts of a future that promises new and exciting benefits for all. May Epcot Center entertain, inform, and inspire, and above all, may instill a new sense of belief and pride in man's ability to shape a world that offers hope to people everywhere. So I think that is still relevant to what we want Epcot to be today. I think it hits on the unifying themes of World Showcase. It hits on the inspirational themes of Future World. But one thing that is of note here is that uh, on that second paragraph, it says entertain first before inform before inspire everything like that. Are we being too hard on the inspirational educational component of Epcot? And are we forgetting that this is intended to be an entertaining theme park first?
1: I would say no. Okay. Um, and let me try and justify that answer. Um to answer that question, you have to really drill down and ask the question, what is it that entertains people? What creates delight? What creates joy? Mm-hmm. And I found, this is just by personal anecdotal experience, that very few things in the world create a sense of joy more than giving a person a sense of having achieved something or the sense that they have the capability to achieve something. That's empowerment. That's yeah. one of the most powerful things in the world. You don't look at guys and women who, uh, you know, men and women who transform the world, and generally see them as being depressed. Uh, on occasion, you do. You know, you've got like guys like Howard Hughes who who do remarkable things and then suffer from some, you know, uh, you know, tremendous depression or whatever. But for the most part, these are people that that feel empowered. And I think most people look at them and say, "Yeah, they're happy because they're successful." But in large part, they're ha- they're successful because they're happy. They have the belief that they have the ability to change the world, and that's. Uh, To large, in large part, what Epcot did, it it presented these big problems that the universe has always faced and the world's always faced as things that were conquerable by regular human beings, which is a really important lesson to learn as a person, because there's no problem that's ever been solved in human history that wasn't solved by a regular old person, you know, and and to quote a book, we got our explicit tag. So I will just say this, (laughs) everybody poops, You, you know. The, the person who ends up being, uh, broke and, and, and desperate and meaningless and doesn't change anything in the world. And the person who cures diseases and sends people to Mars, they both have buttholes. They both wipe their ass. They put, they both put their pants on one leg at a time. And there is a subset of the population who will end up being in one category or another based on the degree to which they are inspired during their life. And Epcot had the potential to transform some people who didn't believe they could do anything into people who believe that they could transform the world. That is that is so much bigger than entertainment, regardless of what the, the plaque might say. But in terms of if we, if we agree that being entertained means having joy in you, yeah. then there is so much joy that can be uh, injected into the population of the earth by empowering people to change it. Um, that I don't think that there's any way to justify extracting any meaningful value from the park in a real sense uh, as being anti, you know, counter to that plaque. If that makes any sense.
0: The line that was in horizons that resonates throughout Epcot from a uh, mm-hmm. inspirational standpoint is if we can dream it, we can do it. And, the pessimist in me fears that the dreamers within the company were replaced with a department marketing dreams. It really is a a step away from that aspirational, uh, looking towards the future, looking towards improving everything.
1: Uh, yeah, the, I agree 100%. Other,
0: the other component here is that Disney used to create what we didn't know we wanted. Uh, now they seemingly focus group vanilla ideas that can be better marketed. Now, I don't want to dismiss this outright from the sense that, like, I think they're still creating things we didn't know we wanted. I think the Star Wars Hotel was something we didn't know we wanted. But now that they've put it out there, I think a lot of people want that. I think they like the idea of it. It's tied to an intellectual property, but it is a leap beyond what was done over at, say, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Um We don't know if it'll be successful, but they're at least trying in some way, shape or form when they have a slam dunk intellectual property to tie it back to. But things like, um, you know, your your original intellectual property attractions like Expedition Everest, did we know that we wanted an attraction where we're going to be pursued by a Yeti? No, but it's one of the most popular rides in the park and not one that can be sold off of an intellectual property. It's not one that's easily marketed, yet it still regularly has the second highest weights in that park. Right. So, Right. If it's so popular, why does it close early? <laughs> that's one of the ones that doesn't
2: close early. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to do it. I had to. <laughs>
1: It's rare that he's right. There's an old expression that if you're ever pitching your business idea to a venture capitalist or to an investor, that the one thing you don't ever want to do is compare it to something else. So you don't want to say, you know, I've got a company that's going to be the Uber of headphones or whatever, Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, because it just proves that your idea is completely derivative and not original. So, you know, I, I think the Star Wars Hotel is an example of something that is, is unique because even though the core, you know, the kernel of it is Star Wars the manifestation of it is a very unique idea. And that, that's the sort of thing that I would love to see Disney double down on. Um, things like Frozen, you know, Frozen in the context of it being injected into World Showcase, are the exact opposite of that. It's basically just it's it's a, a an opportunity to capitalize on a property that's already hot by shoehorning it into a place that it doesn't belong because they know that non-discriminate customers are going to want to go see it. But you know, what is what is the staying power of it? I think we already know that. I mean, the lines on that attraction have certainly dropped dramatically since opening day, which that's going to be normal with anything. But you know, is that thing going to be uh you know an e-ticket draw in in 10 years? I, I think we would all agree that it's not.
0: It's not, but I mean it's it's probably going to be along the same lines as Peter Pan because you don't you have a reduced capacity there. It's not the same scope as Pirates of the Caribbean by any means. So the the draw is going to be tempered a little bit because of what it is, but I still think it's going to be hitting forty five to sixty minute waits ten years from now. Unfortunately, but
2: so now going back to the the speech, which is all great and we we love it, and that that centers around what we always loved about Epcot. What if Bob Iger, when all this stuff finally is finished being built and opens. What if he came back out and gave another speech similar to that, that gave the new uh, mission statement for Epcot? What would you, what would you say to that? If, if, if they came out with a cohesive storyline as to what they want Epcot to be now and moving forward, would we still have much of an argument comparing it to what it used to be? Fine. I, I I'd mean, like look,
1: it. I'd like a direction. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I mean, look, they are, they are, and one thing that probably bears saying, it's theirs. Yep. I mean, we we are attached to it, but the truth is, Epcot belongs to the Walt Disney Company, and they certainly have the right to articulate the vision as to what they want it to become. They want they have the they have the authority and the right to articulate the the mission as to what it should be now, what its purpose for existing is. And those are great things. And the reality of it is, it's sad that we as visitors are looking at that in deciding that the park isn't living up to it, because quite frankly, what a mission statement is truly intended to do is give the manager and the managers and the top management team guidance to make strategic and tactical decisions as to how to run the place. So yeah, it's somewhat ironic that that it, it doesn't seem that there is any uh, clearly articulated expression as to what that park is supposed to be today, uh, let alone what it is trying to become. And the, the clearest evidence I have of that. Is the the D twenty three before last, where they showed the concept art for the park once? That was a vague watercolor <laughs> sort of blob that was very amorphous and hard to discern, and never got shown again. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think there's I don't think there's anyone on the earth right now that really knows the direction that Epcot is truly headed. It's it's just sort of it's like a Tesla on autopilot, where there's just a virus <laughs> in it. It's just it's just going wherever the hell it's gonna go. Yeah, and
2: that's, I guess that's where I cut them. Maybe the slightest bit of slack is waiting for that to happen because we obviously are in an arms race in Orlando, especially with attractions and everybody announcing new things. And part of me feels like these announcements from D23, from Destination D, is them doing their part to, you know, hype the crowds that they they realize there's a Harry Potter coaster coming down the road. So we've got to announce our next thing. Uh, So they are jumping the gun with the announcements of the attractions. I do wonder if at some point they will. And I, I, I do feel like they will readdress this. Uh, they're just not at that point to do it yet. Until all this stuff opens and, and doing some kind of grant, you know, you know how they are. Whenever they open a new section, a new park, new new attraction, especially something on the the size of what they're doing at Epcot, I feel like something's coming. But at the same time, they can't wait for all this stuff to you know quietly being built, to, you know, in and around. They've got to get their announcements out there to, to get the crowds, the, the fans hyped up uh, before they put that statement out.
0: So Josh, I want to call back to something you said regarding the Disney company owning Epcot. I think they they own the 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 trees, the rockwork, the wood, everything that makes up Epcot physically. I think the idea of Epcot originally is very much uh there's an ownership level amongst the fans of of those concepts, of those ideas. And I remember hearing a few different interviews with Tony Baxter uh, one of which was seemingly he was sticking around because he feels that he knows how to fix Epcot. Um, he's now no really not really sticking around anymore, but <laughs> he discussed the idea of you can put an intellectual property everywhere or anywhere. You just need to come up with the appropriate story for it. And we talked about nonlinear storytelling in the first two episodes, and he used Indiana Jones as an example that you take Indiana Jones as a you know very valuable intellectual property uh that Disney can use, and there are treatments where you can fit that into each of the four parks um might not might be a better fit in some versus others, but I think we saw with Pandora, for example, they came up with a story treatment where that works. And I think initially when that was announced, people thought, why isn't this going to the studios? But they found a way to make it work in the animal kingdom. And there is, there are people in the company that still care. But uh, going back to Ben's question about uh, perhaps a new mission for uh, Epcot, a new mission statement for Epcot. And in that D23 Expo that Josh referenced, I pulled some quotes from that as well. And there are some things here that are a little bit discouraging uh, where one thing that um, uh, both Tom Fitzgerald and Bob Chapek kept on hitting on were these generalities, where they just didn't really have a focus here. But it started with Bob Chapek saying, uh, "Now our work in the park is centered around a few guiding principles. We want to keep it true to the original vision, while making it more timeless, more relevant, more family, and more Disney."
1: I don't yeah, that, know. I
0: don't know what that means.
1: So I, I teach a. <laughs> I teach a writing class at a university and that is D minus level writing because <laughs> it is a bunch of words that express no meaning. Like great writing is when you can use a few words that express a lot of meaning. That's the little exact opposite. It's like maybe if sound comes out of my mouth for long enough, people will assume that I've communicated something of value, but no, you didn't.
0: So that's the quote that people are using. He continued though. And it's where he continued that I think it kind of hits on what, what we're seeing now. We're also ensuring that these plans incorporate what we've been hearing from our guests, especially from our families with young children. They love Epcot, probably not true, but they want it to have a little more of that Disney wow factor, which is telling me this park does not cater to kids and they're going to make it cater to kids. And the next question becomes, should it? Does every park have to cater to kids? Um, I know when I was growing up, I loved, but was kind of indifferent towards World Showcase and that was okay for my family.
1: Right. Well, look, if you had a clothing company mm-hmm. and you wanted to sell the most clothing that you could, would you decide that you were going to make only kid sizes? Like, I think the answer is obviously no. Um, You, you know, there's a very wide demographic of people who are interested in Disney and mm-hmm. many of them have children and many of them are children, but not all of them. So I guess the question you have to answer if you're Disney is, is it better off for you to take a park that is that is uniquely positioned to cater to adults and give up that serving that demographic uh, in favor of aligning it toward younger audiences, despite the fact that all of your other properties do the same thing. And it seems to me, based on what we've seen, that the decision that they have made is that, yes, that's, that's what is in their best interest. I don't agree with it But my disagreement with it is not because I necessarily think it's a bad business decision. I don't know. I don't have that data. But it certainly is not a decision that aligns with my interests. I just have to recognize at some point that perhaps my interests don't align with Disney's. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the choices they're making are good. It just means that they're not consistent with what I want to see the parks become.
2: And as a father of two children under 10, I can attest that it's a difficult park, even as it stands right now, to keep two young ones occupied for an entire day uh the, the the sad part is if they didn't put in frozen if they didn't do attractions like that what were they doing before that that was adding to the capacity of the park to keep us entertained there's just not mission you had the mission space you had soren you had test track but those were you know there's pretty long gaps in between those and then the smaller attractions around those they they weren't filling in those holes so it, it's it is a difficult park as it stands today, and granted, they're adding a uh, you know Ratatouille Guardians. There, there's a few things that are going to help fill uh, some of that time in there, but for young children, it's not
1: a great park to hit. What do young children do when they're not at Disney World at Epcot? That's what I don't know. Stare at their phones. <laughs> stare, stare at their phones. Yep. <laughs> so
0: they're also adding, and these this was announced this weekend. They're updating the O Canada. Uh, they announced back at the D23 Expo in 2017 that they're updating Reflections of China into a seamless uh, th- 3D circle, or not 3D, but circle vision movie. Um, we, have, we certainly have fans of these shows around World Showcase, fans of American Adventure and Impressions de France as well. Are these things too stale for today's audience? Is that part of the problem, that these aren't things that are going to, that kids aren't going to be entertained by a movie about France or a, you know, a circle vision movie about Canada or China. Is is that part of the problem that they're kind of still under the old thinking for the non-intellectual property based items?
1: I think it's, uh, you could take the word property out. It's the, not the problem is non-intellectualism. There's just, a, <laughs> it's a generation of people that don't want to think about anything that don't appreciate the value of learning something. Um, you know, I remember going to Epcot as a kid And I will admit that it was a different experience to me than the magic kingdom. And there certainly were moments where I said, you know, why aren't I at the place that had all the rides? Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, the park that I ended up being attached to 30 something years later is Epcot. So that to me is, is the crux of this whole thing is that, isn't it possible that building a long-term fan is not purely a function of giving them instant gratification.
0: So this this goes to something else, and this goes back to a Tony Baxter quote where he tried to differentiate Magic Kingdom and Epcot, where he said Magic Kingdom is where the fantastic becomes real and Epcot is where real becomes fantastic. And it's a very simplistic approach to it, but if you think about it, it does make sense. Where Take something like Soren, which I do think fits in Epcot. You're taking real-world environments and presenting it in a way that's exhilarating. Uh, it makes it feel like you are flying over these places and that does produce an element of fantasy. So perhaps what's happening in those shows like, Oh Canada, like uh, uh, what is it? Reflections of China and then impressions de France. They're not making the real become fantastic. They're just showing you what's real. And world showcase has always been an idealized version of these cultures and these countries. Um, Perhaps that approach hasn't been truly tested, and the experiences that they could put in there haven't really been fully explored yet.
1: I so, mean, there's a simple solution to this: you lower the drinking age to five.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I do like with Soren, though. If you go back and remember why that was put in the park, though, it was a what an, an anniversary present from, yes. and so it wasn't like, hey, we have this great idea for an attraction that. Uh, moves the needle on the educational aspect of that, you no. know, has always been sitting around Epcot. It was like, Hey, we got an attraction in California. It's got a two hour wait that people love. Where can we put it at Disney world? And it ended up over at Epcot.
0: What's weird though, is that because of the new film, it has evolved from being far more appropriate for Epcot than it ever was. And uh, than the new version is in California.
2: Oh yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> for sure.
0: It uh, it's, it's interesting how that kind of played out, but the, uh, Uh, that fantastic becomes real and the real becomes fantastic at that same d23 expo tom fitzgerald combined the two and he said epcot has always been from day one an optimistic celebration of the real world i agree brought to life through the magic of disney it's really kind of a living showcase of the world we've created and the world we continue to create together so far so good tom it's a place where the real becomes fantastic and the fantastic becomes real and to me that tells me again now we can justify putting fantasyland attractions in the park and they've done it with Finding Nemo. doesn't really fit. They've done it with Frozen and uh, other editions that they've had over the years.
1: Um, I mean, look, I, I admit I'm very pedantic and probably annoying with the degree to which I parse <laughs> words. But, you know, what What it means to be fantastic, I think, is up in the air and, and subject to the fantasy. But, yes. I mean, well, but fantasy could be, uh, you're in the mind with the seven dwarfs, or fantasy can be. Uh, all of these countries are living together in harmony. So, you know, is fantasy also true? You know, an aspirational view of the real world, or is it a view of a world that isn't real? Um, and and Tom left that you know, uh, <laughs> vague certainly. Yes. Um, but clearly, it, it seems to me that the original Epcot. And for anyone who's been a fan of the community for a long time, you know that, you know, the old adage that there was this future world idea or this idea of the future. And then there was this, this idea of different countries and they were these two disparate ideas and no one knew what to do with them. And then somebody miraculously had the idea that they would push these two models together. And all of a sudden we got the modern vision of Epcot. And the the irony of it is, or the the magnificence of it is that it, both of them show what the world can be. One, in terms of how time can help the world, right? Mm-hmm. So things yeah. get better over time. Technology improves communication. It makes the world smarter, uh, smaller. Uh, it improves our ability to interact with one another and to close gaps in understanding. And then the other is, you know, this concept of countries uh, getting along with each other and celebrating each other's differences while working through the things that would normally create conflict. So it just works so magnificently together. And that's what made the thing, what it was, it was, it was the combination of those two things. So the, the replacing that with fantasy, like we get in fantasy land at magic kingdom, really dilutes that whole idea. And it leaves you scratching your head as to what the actual message is. And I think that the message is that there isn't a message. Yeah. It's just, it's just a place where there's a bunch of fun attractions and look, it's a great place to go spend a day. It's uh aesthetically pleasing for the most part, although it's gotten very cluttered and worse than it used to be. Um, <laughs> still you know, better than a day at the office. Yeah. It's still better than a day. You know, look on the spectrum of a blowjob to being kicked in the nuts. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's doing pretty well. Um, but I, I wonder what the long-term, uh, you know, viability of doing that. What's it look like in 10 years, if they keep doing what they're doing, it just becomes the opposite of Walt Disney wanted. It becomes an amusement park rather than a theme park. Um, and I, and I don't think that that is really in line with what Disney customers are, uh, expect, you know, they expect some sort of holistic, uh, you know, uh, integration between the things that are there and, and it's getting increasingly farther away from that.
0: Apparently my role here is to just read quotes. So, Excellent. Uh, <laughs> uh, to give a little bit of optimism here. Do you have
1: uh, anything for Mitch Hedberg? You throw I don't over.
0: have anything from Mitch Hedberg. Um, <laughs> so a few things. On the Guardians of the Galaxy ride, uh, Joe Rohde is the head of Marvel products in uh, the Disney parks. So that gives me some level of hope that there will be... Some story that ties it to Epcot a little bit better than Peter Quill went to Epcot as a kid. The other component here is that uh, the head of Marvel Studios, Kevin Feige, uh, said in an interview with the following, I love Epcot. It was my favorite park when I was a kid. At the time, it was only Magic Kingdom and Epcot. Disney's Hollywood Studios, then Disney's MGM Studios, opened in 89 when I was 16. And I also loved that because it was all about movies, and even then I knew I wanted to make movies but epcot and the notion of the future and the promise of the future and the promise of a global community i bought into it hook line and sinker i was inspired by it i still listen to the music from those old attractions and I'm the kind of person who's inspired by well told stories and inspired by well told well scored messages and epcot did that in an amazing way for me now the notion that one of our movies is going to be a part of that and yes provide a big fun marvel studios type adventure but still tra- stay true to what epcot is all about is pretty awesome I, I know that he's not BS because I've seen him before he before he was really that big of a deal publicly and known publicly walking around a D23 Expo sporting an Epcot hat. doesn't mean that he knows exactly what he's talking about in the context of it. But I would like to think that there is some hope here where it might not necessarily be a love letter to classic Epcot, but something in the story that is inspirational and does take a leap beyond the silliness of guardians of the galaxy and does try to make it a little bit more inspirational. And I think (laughs) there is room for that.
2: Who has more pull, though, Kevin Feige or Bob Chapek at the end of the day?
0: Uh, Probably Bob Chapek, but you also have, I think Chapek looks at this as this is the idea. You guys figure it out. He's not the idea man from the, you know, story treatment standpoint. He is a marketer. That's what his role is here. Um, He's there to sell the product. Uh, but doesn't necessarily have to tell the story on it. So if this is, if this has the insight of, in all likelihood, now Kevin Feige and uh, Joe Rohde is the primary motivators beyond uh, James Gunn, who's no longer involved in it. Presumably, um, that does give me some hope on this project.
2: And, oh, I I agree with that. the 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 faith of those two to pull off an amazing attraction, I think is, uh, I, I think it's going to be awesome. And especially if those two are having. Uh, any pull on it, so the 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 sediment is there. Uh, he said all the right things. Let's just hope mm-hmm. that he uh, pulls it off.
0: Now we've—I don't know if we've necessarily thrown this out here on this show, but if the attraction itself is good, generally people don't care about the thematic uh, disconnect. So let's say Frozen was like using the Shanghai Pirates technology, and it was a replacement for Maelstrom, and they just happened to put it in in Norway, I think we'd give it a little bit more of a pass than where it is right now is like a, a solid D ticket. Um, so if you look at something like splash mountain, technically that doesn't fit in Frontierland, but it's arguably the best attraction in the park. So nobody bats an eye. Uh, and I could see something similar happen with guardians of the galaxy. And as, if, as Josh said, if this just becomes a collection of great rides, all right, there's, uh, not too many better places. I'd rather spend a day than, you know, riding Disney rides in the park that used to be known as Epcot Center. But uh, to give a little bit more hope on things that we've condemned here, uh, a guy over on WDW Magic, a poster named Magic Feather, who's usually pretty involved and has some insight on things, says uh, on the fireworks show, I too am giving the show the benefit of the doubt. Admittedly, having a slightly greater understanding of the show than most has helped that. And I do expect there to be a bigger tie to global themes than many are expecting. No, this isn't a pure exploration of global themes, but it's not Phantasmic either. And I don't know if you guys saw the actual footage that they showed this weekend, but it really did look like an upgraded version of Fantasmic. And so it's, it's kind of hard to not think that.
1: I, I will say that for me, as someone who resists change and is very nostalgic for old Epcot uh, and who loves Illuminations, Mm-hmm. I, I feel that there's something different about a nighttime show than a physical attraction that makes it easier to replace a phys- uh, a nighttime show without doing irreparable harm. And, and specifically, I look at the ingredients of what makes them up. You know, if you were to look at illuminations and boil it down to its elements, you, you have a few things there. You've got lasers, which I think are really important. I remember we call them pew pews. <laughs> the first place I saw PPS Pee as a young child was Epcot. And, and I was like, whoa, that's amazing. Yes. Uh, there's fireworks, of course, which are much more common. And I suspect both of those will be a part of whatever they uh, install there. Certainly fireworks will, for sure. Uh, and I think lasers will be as well, though with a little less certainty. And then the, the most important ingredient, though, I think, is the music. Yes. Um, and that's where Illumination is really, really it's just a, a work of art. It's a, its a little bit like saying we're taking the Mona Lisa down and we're putting up this new finger painting, that which you think is really good because it uses a new technology. Um, you know, if you were to see just the lasers of Illumination without any context, like a Rorschach test and someone asks mm-hmm. you, what is it? And maybe we would know, but I don't think most people would. And, and certainly not the fireworks. If you just saw the fireworks of Illuminations without any context, any sound, any music, and you showed it to an average person who'd been to Epcot, I don't think they'd know what it was. But I think overwhelmingly, people who have seen that show, if you played the music for them, would be able to identify it. That, that is like the heart and the soul of that. So I, I guess what I'm getting at is I think at least two-thirds of what makes Illuminations Illuminations will still be there. The, the real unknown to me is is what the soundtrack is going to be is it going to be that moving uh, you know incredibly compelling uh audio that that just sort of tugs at your heartstrings and leaves you walking out of there with a little bit of a tear in your eye um and if it doesn't then that's a downgrade um but we're we're looking for the thing we didn't know we want in that soundtrack
0: not uh a best of not a happily ever after which is a yeah. fantastic show but not necessarily what we're looking for here
1: and I could tell you that I absolutely, I don't have any, I have no musical ability other than to recognize things that I love, but I don't have any ability to produce great music or, or explain academically what makes it. But I know that illumination soundtrack has it, yeah. um, you know, and I, I just, I, I hope very strongly that whatever goes in there and has it as well. But um, there's so few things that I've experienced in my life that are that compelling, Uh, you know, from an audio standpoint that it's almost hard to believe that they could just bang it out because they decide to,
2: it still amazes me. The goosebumps I get every time seeing that show. And I've seen it so many times and I get the same feeling every single time. And uh, it it is, it's the music. It really
1: is. The good thing is, and I, I I guess I'm being the devil's advocate here (laughs) weekly. Um, (laughs) there are problems with eliminations. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, whereas yeah, yep. I have a harder time identifying the, with something like Horizons, I'm like that was just strong from beginning to end. You know, it's hard to say. Well, here's a part of Horizons I would gut, but you know, the most expensive, most elaborate, most complex showpiece ever built, the Earth Globe. Um, oh my God! Quite frankly, is a is a train wreck. Yep. Um, and it's just it is the opposite of the the wand that was over Spaceship Earth. It's about scale. You know, yeah. it, and scale is one thing that Imagineering normally nails. If 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 you had any you know, core competency that you could say, these guys almost never screw it up. It's understanding perspective and scale. And the earth globe is just a tragic uh, display of the fact (laughs) that even they can really screw that up because that thing, if you're standing next to that thing, it's a really impressive, you know, apparatus. But when you're on the shore and that thing's out in the lagoon, it looks like nothing. Nothing.
0: Yeah, there's a football field in the way. I mean, yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> there's, there's 300 yards between you and the thing you're supposed to be looking at. It, it is not impressive. And it, it just, it really falls down on the effect that it tries to create. So, pretty, pretty sure they're still using standard definition on that as well. Probably, probably. But not that it would matter. I mean, if I project <laughs> high definition.
2: <laughs> the, <John>. um,
0: <laughs> uh, Josh, you faded out a little bit there. And I assume you were probably saying something funny. It is very clever. let's just assume that it was listeners. You can laugh. I think one thing that is certainly intriguing about the 2020 nighttime show that's coming is that there are large barges that I think solve that problem. Um, we might be upset with what's actually going to be projected on those barges. And I think there's Disney is seeing this problem with rivers of light and they're probably learning the the wrong lesson from that show, but they're seeing that, all right, this show is, doesn't have enough, uh, substance to it and they will probably be fixing that show in, in five years. If Illuminations 2020 is what I'm gonna call it for now on, uh if that show sucks but still has some technologically uh, uh some technological improvements over its predecessor, then all right, it may, might not be all for naught. Uh that was a lot of negatives in that sentence, but I'm sure you understand <laughs> what I'm getting. There there might be there might be a benefit. So Yeah I look back at like old versions of Illuminations before Reflections of, and one thing they did was highlight the individual countries around world showcase. Uh, yep, that's going to be coming
1: back. I, I'm almost certain that's going to be part of this. And, have, that was a, I mean, that was brilliant. You have them there.
2: That's a, it's a standout moment as a kid is remembering yeah. the cheering for your country when it came up. I, yep. I miss that so much. If that's
0: how they do it, if they you know, as as Ben suggested, they're doing the live action movies. And maybe that's the integration where they don't necessarily show the animated versions, but they show live action Mulan. They show live action Pinocchio, uh, uh, any other live action movie that they've got in the works at this point, Beauty and the Beast. And they show those. And perhaps because you're seeing humanoids, uh, for lack of a better word, maybe that works a little bit better than cartoon characters. But we don't know everything. We know about 7% of it. And like we always do, we extrapolate, we think doomsday scenario here, but we know that there's going to be characters in it. And are there ways where they can properly integrate it, uh, saying, all right, this story was inspired by France, here's Bell, You know, this story was inspired by China, here's Mulan. Um, can we accept that or no?
1: Well, I I don't want to be non-responsive to your question, but you you made a comment earlier that I I think warrants a a comment. There's a certain irony as to Imagineering's view of technology in Epcot, because while they seem disinterested in presenting technology in future world, they also seem hell-bent on (laughs) shoehorning technology into their (laughs) shows. And... If you look, I, I don't claim to be an artist, but you know, if you if you were to go back in time and talk to a famous painter, you wouldn't ask him what brand of paintbrush he uses. You know, the, the technology is a means to an end. It it is it's the story that that really matters. That you know, the the technology is just an instrument to bring that to life. So when when you have something that's very fundamentally sound, like illuminations and you throw it away because you want to do something new technologically like projection mapping, or whatever. I mean, I'm the biggest nerd of the group. I'm pretty sure. I, mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I haven't. Without a doubt. Okay.
0: <laughs> so no arguments yeah. here. Uh,
1: no. I mean, I, I can, I can ride through a ride that has a terrible story and just appreciate the, you know, the ride vehicles. I mean, I really, I'm into that stuff, but yeah. at the same time, I, I, I see the tragedy and throwing away a truly good story uh, in order to try and use some new technology in, in a novel way. Even though I appreciate that, I, I'm not sure that replacing something great is necessarily the place for it. So it's interesting to me that a company that seems uninterested in technology in some context is like really eager to use it in others.
2: It's funny you say it like that because the the main reason I wanted to go work for the company was to see how they did everything. Mm-hmm. That was yeah, I, the I get number that. one totally. factor. And yeah. uh, you know you've got a park that, Embraces technology, or so it, they they say they do. Uh, with all these new attractions going in, you know, we we are going to get some amazing technology to pull off these shows, to pull off these rides. You know, putting the Imagineering hat back on. What if you took a dead space like in inventions and showed how they did some of the stuff in the parks and That'd showed the science behind it? I think that's a way that you can maybe shoehorn some of that classic Epcot back in with yeah. the the new stuff they want. I would sit there and love, you know. Uh, The the froze, frozen might not be everybody's cup of tea, but the, I love the Elsa audio animatronic in there, yeah. and the fluidity and the movement on that. Put that in a little display and show how that technology is done. That's going to inspire children to want to learn more about these subjects, and it does kind of tie back into the uh, what we were used to and, and what we grew up with.
1: Yeah, Ben, what you just said maybe reminded me of something. Uh, for for anyone hasn't seen this, you should check it out. But back in the late '90s, there was a Maybe it's early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s. There was a show called The, the Mask Magician. And, yep. and he, he would – it was a famous magician who wore a mask, and he would show how all of these great tricks were done. And the takeaway from all of them is that they were very simple. Yep. <laughs> and when you saw how they were done, it wasn't very impressive, but the tricks themselves were mind-blowing when you didn't know. And, and to me, there's a tremendous corollary between what Imagineering does and what, what magicians do. It's a trick. Um, and and there, there's something very profound about that because they're taking, you know, basic scientific principles, basic engineering principles, but they're, they're imbuing them with a story and then presenting them in a way that is extraordinarily compelling, that leaves people just in, you know, in awe. Um, that, that's a tremendous skill and it's, but it's not about the technology. It's not about the, you know, the blade that has the spring in it. It's about the presentation. Mm -hmm. And when I see a company like Disney who has for, you know, what, 190 years been focused primarily on the storytelling and they get distracted by the tools that they're using to tell the story. To me, that is a a bit of a cancer that that has a tendency to eat away at their actual value proposition. That's that's part of what I worry about and what what I what I think I see. And again, I'm just an outsider. I don't know, but I, I know what I see. And it it seems that there's a a departure from that pure storytelling and a a little bit of obsession with various, uh, you know, technologies that they get obsessed with, like projection mapping and screens. You know, you you could see that there's trendiness in some of these technologies that that as guests we go, hmm, it doesn't seem like these are really being used, uh, perhaps as sparingly as they should be to get the maximum effect.
0: Ben, your idea of kind of pulling back the curtain a little bit is something that I thought would be great fodder for the Imagination Pavilion. But I also like the idea of putting it in uh, interventions as well. I think that's really a, a great idea. And they've done some of this to a certain extent. Like over at Walt Disney Presents or whatever, uh, the, the One Man's Dream back in the day, they did have the Lincoln animatronic. And you could use some basic functionality of the animatronic. Um, at D23 Expos in the past, they've had a um, a, a hatbox ghost that you could kind of watch them programming. But I think your idea and allowing guests the interactive component to it uh, would really strike a chord with with kids. That's where you get that inspirational component to it. Um, I know back in the day, I loved going through CommuniCore. I loved playing in the image works. And I didn't necessarily learn much, but it was you know in the early days of computers. So I'm sure that I was just learning basic computer skills uh, unintentionally. And those are the types of things that can be, you know, a smaller scale diversion, but still influence the future. And I look at what Disney has done in recent years in Epcot. And the one thing that I keep going back to that I think screams classic Epcot is the pre-show of Test Track where you're creating the vehicle. It's not, it's not 100% grounded in reality. It's obviously fabrication, exaggeration, hyperbole, whatever word you want to use in how you're creating the vehicle, but the actual component of it seems like a modern take on what we used to do playing with Bigman's paintbrush or something like that. You're creating something.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, And I I think, you know, I've been sort of a lone gunman in defending the overlay of Test Track as being a tremendous improvement of the previous version uh, on Kingdom Cast. I was standing alone (laughs) on that one, Um, but but largely for the same reasons. And to go back to what you said, I, I don't know that epcot doesn't need to be school no you know but if it can create curiosity or or maybe that i probably articulated that poorly if it can encourage curiosity if it can awaken it you know if you can walk out of there going how did they do that i mean this is sort of a dumb analogy but i I went to the park as kids many 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 times i grew up in florida and then i went you know 10 or 15 years without going and i went about 10 years ago i went back to epcot and when i got back to my hotel i'm like Boy, you know, Spaceship Earth. I remember that as a kid. What does that ride layout look like? And I Googled it, mm-hmm. you know, and, I, and that's how I became a part of this community is I just started delving deeper and deeper into it because I was curious about how all of this stuff worked. And I, I think that that's what empowers people to really learn is not the opportunity to be taught because those mm-hmm. opportunities, you know, there's an old expression when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Uh, there's access to information has never been more easy than it is today. And it'll be easier tomorrow than it is now. But, but, creating in people a curiosity, you know, a motive force to get them to go out and explore and learn and suck in some of that information that's available, that's the magic, and the parks used to do that tremendously and Epcot more than any of them.
0: I think uh, as we kind of near the hour mark on this show we we could talk about Epcot for seven episodes, and I think we probably will in some way shape or form. But perhaps a way to tie this back to the imagineering component of it is giving us each a homework assignment. And that is to try to come up with try to come up with an intellectual property that would fit into Epcot. Trying to not necessarily shoehorn something in, but trying to come up with a story treatment for either something that they're doing or something
2: that they're not doing that would work. And I'd say that Coco is probably off the table because it's too obvious. But uh, Josh, you just said Epcot doesn't have to be school and now Tim's giving us homework.
0: Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I think, I think that's something where we have to recognize the future involves movies in Epcot. Um, and you go back to 1989 when they were uh, discussing MGM studios, that was going to be a pavilion in Epcot. It was going to be a movies pavilion. In there. So if we look back at say what we view as the original concepts of the park, uh, Find a relevant Disney movie that can fit, um, and ideally, it's something that hasn't been mentioned before. Uh, I know I've discussed on E Ticket Report and just publicly about the idea of putting Black Panther in the park, so I won't use that. But I did want to take a quote from that that I think does scream classic Epcot, and this is kind I of what I'm getting at:
1: <laughs> Sleeping Beauty-based Chloroform Pavilion. <laughs>
2: I was going ga- <laughs> I was going to put I was going to put Condor Man as the new Soren film. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I I think we can also open that up to listeners where if listeners have ideas and we can discuss and possibly you know, So if anyone wants to do my homework
1: paper. for me you can reach me. <laughs> exactly,
0: exactly. So maybe we don't come up with three ideas but maybe our listeners come up with one or two and we can get off easy just by talking about it. But I like um, it. So so I wanted to talk about something that uh, Ben and I have talked about privately. I know, Josh, you're relatively indifferent, if not uh, in the dislike category for the Marvel movies. But um, at the end of Black Panther, in the credits, he, ha- he gives a speech to the UN. And this is uh, part of the speech. We will work to be an example of how we as brothers and sisters on this earth should treat each other. Now more than ever, the illusions of divisions threaten our very existence. We all know the truth. More connects us than separates us. But in times of crisis, the wise build bridges while the foolish build barriers. We must find a way to look after one another as if we were one single tribe. So probably more aggressive than what is needed for an Epcot message, but the sentiment is certainly relevant to that park. And I I actually rewatched the movie yesterday, somewhat coincidentally, and I thought of it that much more, that there are things that, on the surface, don't seem like they fit. But I think there are story treatments for a lot of different intellectual properties that will work in Epcot. And I, I hope that Imagineers are thinking the same way. Uh, but we've got evidence to the contrary with things like Frozen, things like Finding Nemo, where it's not really the best fit. And they're not necessarily working to create a story treatment that fits with the rest of that park
2: it's funny the final scene from black panther where they're back in oakland and talking about setting up the uh, institutes all over it's almost as if bob Chapek was on set saying hey add this in there because we've got a great pavilion over in future world that we can shoehorn <laughs> a little a little wakanda while keeping black panther out of the park we can uh, we can bring shuri and all her friends in there and uh introduce the technology uh that way so i i, I agree with you that it's a it's a pretty solid fit for for that park, but beyond that, I
0: think if we just kind of look through the history of you know either recent history or go back sixty seventy years, we can probably find ways to fit various stories in where they're culturally relevant and uh, can further the story of EpCOt as opposed to you know stripping it away and making it more of a disjointed park. so I guess I'll challenge our listeners to do that and maybe challenge us as well to come up with some of those ideas for our next show. Um, do you guys have any more topics or points that you wanted to bring up on this one?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm go it,
0: Josh. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Well, everybody, I, so. I do find it funny that this whole conversation though, that we're having about Epcot. Uh, I do feel in some ways, we could also have the same exact top, top uh, conversation for Disney Hollywood studios and we probably but, uh, could. What that park originally opened as and the and, and what they wanted it to be, and what it's going to be within the next two years are pretty uh pretty opposite of that opening day statement
0: I think they've gone ar- gone around and probably need to do that new dedication uh for that park because I think as much as I love what the words on that uh, plaque are dedicated to the Hollywood that never was and always will be I think that's even though it's vague, it just sounds really cool. And it's
1: it's worse than vague.
0: It's I, I know, vague. I know, I know. But it's it, don't get me wrong. I recognize that it's vague,
2: but <laughs> it also sounds really cool. It, it's funny. I the industry that I work in right now is directly because of that park and what I experienced in those early years and the behind the scenes and seeing the production and seeing how these things are put together. And there, if you go to that park now, there's none of that kind of inspiration for. Good anybody to to uh want to you know it's essentially the same thing with epcot you know what getting into fields of study getting into uh things that you can do with your life that's all gone from the hollywood studios that we knew when it opened and uh it's just a odd reflection that you know that there i can take you back to the exact spot on the backstage tour when i looked at my parents and told them what i was going to do with my future and it was because of that backstage tour and the stuff that we saw there and uh none of that inspirational stuff is there anymore
1: were they cool with you going into porn, or did that take some selling?
2: <laughs> uh, oddly, my dad was. Mom had a problem with it. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> that does give a taste of a
0: future show, though. Not the porn, mind you. Uh, uh, the, the look at how Hollywood Studios has changed as well, because the production side was an interesting thing. For me personally— Episode
1: five, Tim orders a pizza. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Step one, cut a hole in the box. <laughs> for, for me, I thought it was the animation side, as I try to bring this back on the rails. Uh, uh, not being railed but back on the rails,
1: <laughs> <Ba-dum-bum>.
0: <laughs> bringing it back to the animation side. The problem is I had no ability, but that was something that I just was fascinated by. So you never know yeah. what's going to yeah. strike you as a, as a kid. And I mean, Ben made a career out of it. I, I kind of wish that I had, you know, not been so infatuated with baseball in college. And perhaps I would have explored, uh, trying to get a job in imaginary as well, because, uh, we discussed briefly how we were kind of brought back into the community. For me, it was seeing construction of Everest, seeing the construction of Soren, and I thought, hey, what's what's going on here? I had been kind of removed from Disney for five years, and now they're building new things that I, I want to know about.
1: I like how you just blamed baseball for the fact that <laughs> you're not a match despite the fact that you're not a baseball player. <laughs>
0: what, I, what, I, what I mean by this, and not that this is real, uh, by no means is I going to be a baseball player. Let's get that out of here.
1: I was fascinated with spreadsheets,
0: but I did. However, you mentioned spreadsheets. I did, however, try to get a job in baseball out of school and failed miserably at that as well.
1: Well, At least you tried. Everyone who's successful always tells me that failure is the key. So you're one step closer, my friends. (laughs) Yes. And that's
0: why I'm an accountant right now. (laughs) My father was the only one that would hire me. So you're, you're not getting a world series ring. I'm not getting a world series ring. Oh, okay,
2: I, okay. I, I could have, I thought you were part of that bullpen or something as uh, <laughs> caught up G. with that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think we should probably wrap
0: it here as uh, we go into my career path. But, uh, <laughs> if you like the, uh, the new show without Gary or with the Gary, who knows? Um, if you just like it, I don't really care.
2: Wait, it uh, was that a shot. Was that a shot at you're getting rid of me already? Cause
0: uh, it was like Gary. I don't be think part of episode four. Yet. Okay. But,
1: okay. uh, and episode 5 we'll be joined by Derek Bergen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you have any questions, topic ideas... He's been, he's been here the whole time. You just couldn't hear him. Replacement host ideas. Uh, email us at martycalled at gmail.com. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter under the username at martycalled, or join us on the discussions in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash martycalled. Uh, We'd also appreciate our listeners bookmarking our Amazon affiliates link over on Marty It doesn't cost you anything, but helps us fund the show with purchases we're you're going to make anyway. And with the holidays coming up, hopefully we get this out before black Friday and you guys can fund an entire year of hosting for us. So uh, moving beyond that, Ben, where can we find you online?
2: Uh, You can find me on Twitter at real skipper, Ben and uh, writing for attractions
1: magazine. Excellent. And Josh, what about you? You can't actually find me, but you could find my glorious merchandise at Utilidors.com. There's two O's in there because I don't know how to spell.
0: Utilidors.com.
1: Yeah, utilidors.com. It's uh, Redbubble stuff, all quality, uh, vetted by me. I think you'll really like it. Classic Epcot designs, uh, minor copyright infringement perhaps, but I think it's within fair use. I don't know. But in any event, if you want that classic Epcot look on your for a shirt, for an iPhone case, uh, I've got some slutty skirts in there for the ladies. Go ahead and hit me up. No, Practically no markup on those. You can't afford not to buy it. It's Christmas season. It, this is like the perfect gift for that Disney lover in your family. And of course, you can find me at
0: WDW Theme Parks on Twitter or facebook.com slash WDW Theme Parks. Well, guys, I think we did it. I think we, uh, after six months of planning, finally got a show in the books.
1: I already hate both of you. <laughs> that's, that's how you know it's working.
0: See you in a month or seven. <laughs> Peace.